morning. Good to see you this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name's Dan. I'd love for you to get a head start. Grab a Bible right out of the gate. Turn it to the book of Deuteronomy. Go to chapter 34. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some in the chairs. Uh, if you don't own one, you can have that one. Put your name in it. Uh, then in your program, there should be a little note page for you to take some notes uh, this morning. I think there's some things worthwhile writing down this morning. And as you're getting set up, uh, it is good to be with you. As I said, my name is Dan. I'm a pastor at Grace Church. I've been at the Norton campus for the last 10 years. And I had the opportunity to lead that campus. I'm the campus pastor there. Uh, I have a wife of 29 years. Her name is Jennifer. And uh, we have three kids. We are empty nesters. Raise your hand if you're an empty nester. Anybody in the room? Yeah. So that's a new stage of life for us. Uh, my youngest is a sophomore in college. He goes to uh, college in Virginia. Uh, my middle child, she is a fourth grade teacher in the state of Indiana. And uh, then my oldest lives in Wadsworth. He is married. Probably most importantly, uh, my wife and I just on New Year's Eve became grandparents. Any grandparents in the room? Yeah. Okay, it's an awesome club to be a part of, love being grandparents, and so uh, my oldest and his wife had their first grandchild, it happened to be a little boy, uh, on New Year's Eve, and so we're enjoying that. Uh, it reminds me that you as a campus have grown over the last several days, you may not have known that, but uh, you have a resident here, whose name is Josiah, that many of you love, and he and Grace have welcomed into their home a little girl named Liliana, right? So that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Yeah, we clap for that, that's awesome. Uh, so the word is everybody's doing good, uh, the word we're receiving, and uh, so we're excited for them, very excited uh, to be able to meet her and um, be able to welcome her into this campus. I'm glad that you're here, and uh, I would say this, if you're newer to Grace, maybe you're a guest here, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here. Make yourself at home. Uh, let us know any way we can be helpful to you. There's people with lanyards on, name tags on. They want to help you make your way around the building. We're in a moment of transition. In this moment of transition, we're pretty excited about what God's going to do. And I will tell you guys this, those of you who call Barberton Campus your home, uh, that we at the Norton Campus, uh, we are very related to you, right? Uh, we looked at it kind of like uh, we're the mama campus who birthed this campus uh, a few years ago. Uh, I was praying with somebody earlier and they said we're from Norton, we're the weird cousins. Uh, I, I, I prefer to look at it like we're your mama, right? Can we do that? But uh, we, uh, we want to help and walk through this transition. And so uh, for the next several weeks, uh, we're going to have uh, some of our team that are going to come and going to be speaking. We're going to start a series next week called Good Goals, uh, Bad Gods. And so I'm really excited about that. Hopefully you'll kind of put that on your calendar, plan to be here. I think there's some important things we're going to talk about. Invite somebody to come and be a part of that with you. Uh, I also just want to kind of point out a couple people that are here with me today. Uh, back here is Pastor Jonathan, and uh, he's going to be hanging out here each weekend or a lot of the weekends and kind of uh, providing some pastoral support and things of that nature. And so I love the opportunity I have to uh, partner with him and run with him. He is on staff at the Norton campus. And then over here we have uh, from Grace Church, uh, Rick Scavuzzo. He's a director of advancement. And uh, we're just here kind of to say, hey guys, we're in this together. Uh, we're going to kind of walk through this into the next phase of opportunity together. Which leads me to, as I was thinking about this morning and even last night, uh, I was praying about and say, God, I want you to kind of press into my heart what you want me to share with this group of people, okay? I think this is an important weekend, and uh, I kind of wanted to hear from him and know what it is that he wanted me to share, and as I was thinking about that, I began thinking about my life, and quite frankly, about your life, okay? So your life and my life, our lives are a series of next moves. I don't know if you thought about that or not. 
Like, like you are here today where you're at because of next moves you've made in your life. Uh, I am here today because of next moves that I've made in my life. Our lives are a series of next moves. You look at your past and you can see that it's made up of all kinds of next moves that you've made. You look ahead at your future, you can see that your future is going to involve a bunch of next moves that you're going to make. The next moves that, that you're going to make or maybe have made, they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, right? Uh, some next moves that we make are, are easy. They're, they're a piece of cake. You can do them in your sleep. Some next moves that we make are complicated and they're harder. Some next moves are routine. Some you have to think through. Some next moves that we make, if you think about it, are, are moves in life that we make due to our own choosing. We're like, I'm going to choose to make that next move. And then there's some next moves that you're going to make. Uh, you didn't have a choice, right? And, but, but you have to make a move. Some are complicated, some easy, some you think through, some routine, some mundane. But we all are here because of next moves that we've made in our life. In fact, I've shared this already twice and I'll share it with you. I'm here today. I'm here today because of next moves that I've made in my life. And I want you to know this. I am here today at this moment at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning because of a next move that I made in my life that I did not want to make, that I did not think I could make, that I refused to make, that somebody talked me into making. You see, I can remember when the moment came when my father, who is a man that I respected dearly, he's gone on to be with the Lord, convinced me I needed to make a next move that got me where I'm at today. It was a next move that I didn't think I could make. It was too hard to make. I didn't want to make. I had no interest in making. And yet my father came to me and he said, Dan, if you don't make this next move, it's going to change the entire trajectory of the rest of your life. You must make this next move. If you want to get anywhere in life, you're going to have to make this next move. And I looked at my dad and said, I don't want to make this next move. I do not want to go to kindergarten is what I told him, right? Anybody have a hard time going to kindergarten? Anybody with me? I can remember the first day of kindergarten. I'm the only one? Well, I'll just confess it to you. I had a hard time going to kindergarten, man. I can remember as a five-year-old, I thought life's going good. I'm home with mom. Why do we got to change that, right? And I can remember my dad coming and say, hey, you're five. It's time to go to kindergarten. I said, I don't want to. I remember he took me to the class. I didn't know anybody in there. I didn't know my teacher. I didn't know what to expect. I thought this next move is way too hard for me to take. And I remember my dad leaning down and said, buddy, you've got to take this next move. I said, I don't want to take this next move. He said, if you don't take this next move, it's going to change the rest of your life. You've got to take this next move. I remember that moment where I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. My dad convinced me to take that next move. And can I tell you guys something? Can I tell you something? I stand here today as the proud graduate of kindergarten, man. I made it, right? But thank you very much. I have one person cheering up here, right? <laughs> Little did I know at the age of five, how could I know that, that life is just going to be a series of next moves? That's all it is. Life is a series of next moves because I got settled into elementary school, right? I made it through kindergarten, got settled into elementary school. And all of a sudden, by the time I got settled into elementary school, they said, it's time for you to go to junior high. And I had to make a next move in junior high. It wasn't like elementary school. And I'm like, wow, I don't know that I can do this. It's intimidating. It's hard. And about the time I got settled into junior high, guess what? They said, hey, on to high school, you go. And that's a whole different animal. And I got used to high school. And all of a sudden, it became time for me to take my next move, which was college. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, 10 hours away from home. I'm doing my own laundry, making my own decisions, right? Buying my own gas, that kind of stuff. And then I got through college and it was time to take a next move. And that was marriage. And I'm like, wow, that's a whole different phenomenon, right? And then kids came and next move after next move after next move after next move. Life is a series of next moves. You are where you are today because of next moves you made. You will be 
where you are tomorrow because of next moves you'll take in your life. And here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. Five years ago, five years ago at the Norton campus where I serve, we did a series called Next Move. It was a series we did. Why would we do that series? Because this whole life that God calls us to is a life of next moves. This life, that, this life of following Jesus, this life of following God is a life of next moves. The Bible happens to call it faith. Here's what it says in, I guess I got this screen. Here's what it says in Hebrews 11. It says, why don't we read this together as a big choir. Can you guys do that with me? I want to make sure you're with me. Ready? One, two, three, let's go. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now let's substitute in their next move. Let's, let's just do that. And without taking a next move, it is impossible to please God. So it's interesting because faith is simply this. Here's what faith is. Faith is me going where I shouldn't go on my own. That's what faith is. But because God is calling me and telling me to come, I'm going to go. That's faith. Faith is me going where I shouldn't go on my own but because God's the one who's calling me. God's saying, this is where I want you to go. I'm going to make the next move. And what's interesting about the story of God in the Bible is the Bible, the story of God is full of people who God called to take a next move. It's interesting. Like, like some of you are familiar with the story of God in the Bible. Some of you are like, I, I don't know all the stories, but in the story of God, you'll find a guy named Noah, right? And God said, I want you to take a next move. What's that next move? I want you to build this giant ship. Great, it's never rained. Like, why would I do that? Because that's the next move I want you to take. I want you to trust me because I have something I'm gonna do. There's this guy called Abraham and some of you have heard of Abraham and God says, hey, I want you to take this next move. What's that? I want you to leave the country where you're at and I want you to go where you've never been because I'm gonna build this nation through you. Great. Abraham had no kids and God said, I want you to take a next move before you even have kids because I'm gonna do this phenomenal thing. God went to a shepherd boy. His name happened to be David. He was minding his own business, shepherding his sheep and God says, I got a next move for you. What's that next move? I want you to go hang out with all those weathered veterans of war in the army because they're all afraid. What are they afraid of? They're afraid because there's this nine foot tall giant whose name is Goliath and I got a next move for you. And you know what your next move is? I want you to be the warrior that I used with a slingshot and some stones to defeat Goliath. God came to a blue collar fisherman whose name was Peter, just minding his own business, fishing and all of a sudden he said, I got a next move for you. What's that next move? I want you to follow Jesus. Why? Because eventually you follow Jesus. I want you to be the one that I use to lead this movement called the church. The Bible is full of people that God called to next moves. In fact, I would suggest this. Listen close. That following God, this life of following God, this life of faith, God calls us to be pioneers who take next moves. He never calls us to be settlers who sit and soak. He calls us to be pioneers who are taking next moves of faith. He never calls us to be settlers who sit and soak. So five years ago, when we did this series, I think the character in the Bible that epitomizes this better than anybody is this guy named Moses. And some of you have heard of Moses. Maybe some of you have read his story. I mean, there's a movie, Prince of Egypt, right, about Moses. But Moses' life is fascinating. If you know anything about the story of Moses, that at the time he was born, Pharaoh, the guy in charge of Egypt, he's killing all the male children. Moses' mom says, I'm going to protect my kid, puts Moses in a basket, and he's floating around the Nile River. That's how his life starts. Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Pharaoh's daughter 
falls in love with him, says, I want to raise him, brings him into her home. Moses grows up in Egypt. 40 years he spends growing up in Egypt. All the while growing up in Egypt, Moses knows I got Hebrew blood. I might be in Egypt, but I got, I'm an Israelite. I got Hebrew blood. One day he's out mingling around the people and he sees one of his Hebrew brothers being mistreated by an Egyptian and you get, the, you get the idea Moses was a guy you didn't want to tangle with. And when he saw this Egyptian mistreating this Hebrew man, Moses intervened and he killed the Egyptian. Came to his attention, somebody saw him do that and he says, I can't live here any longer. And he escapes and he goes and he becomes the shepherd in Midian. And for the next 40 years, Moses is living in obscurity. He's a shepherd He's just tending sheep. He's minding his own business. And about the time he gets used to that, about the time he gets used to being a shepherd in obscurity, he, he gets married, he has a family, he's enjoying life. All of a sudden, one day he's watching his sheep. Imagine this. Let the Bible be real. Put color on it. He's watching his sheep. He's tending his flock. He's walking around and all of a sudden he sees this bush and it's on fire. But it's not being consumed. That's kind of weird. He gets closer to the bush that's on fire, not being consumed. And all of a sudden, the bush starts talking to him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm out somewhere and a bush that's on fire starts talking to me, I'm listening. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah. And all of a sudden, God said, I just wanted to get your attention. And God has something to say to Moses. He said, I got a next move for you. Well, I just got used to this move. I just got used to being a shepherd. I just got used to living in obscurity. I got a next move for you. What's the next move? Listen, listen. Your next move is I want you to go stand in front of the most powerful man on the planet, Pharaoh. And I want you to look at him and I want you to tell him, let my people go. And Moses looks at him and says, you got to be kidding me. You want me to what? And I take care of sheep and I don't do that. And I'm, I'm not good at talking and all that kind of stuff. He was a reluctant next mover. So eventually God kept leaning into him and he says, I'll take that next move. And you read the story of Moses and you see Moses, the once shepherd in obscurity, standing in front of the most powerful man on the planet. And he looks at Pharaoh and he says, let God's people go. Pharaoh says, I don't think so. They're pretty valuable. And you know the story. It's an unbelievable story. When Moses decides to take his next move, 10 plagues later, 10 plagues later, the firstborn in Egypt, they all die. Pharaoh says, get out of here. And Moses leads this incredible caravan of people out of Egypt into the wilderness toward the promised land where God told him he was going to lead them. And you read the story and it's unbelievable. You see the Red Sea splitting. It's like, how could that happen? And as Moses leads the people through there, God obviously was involved. You see the people saying, we're thirsty. And all of a sudden a rock becomes a water fountain. You see the people and they're hungry. It's like, God, I'll take care of that. And all of a sudden quail and manna and this incredible journey that Moses takes the people on is unbelievable as a result of this next move. And as we did this series and we looked at the life of Moses, here's all we did. Now stay with me, I'm gonna take you somewhere. We challenged people, say, what is God's next move for you individually? And a lot of people identified what that next move, what's the next move of faith? But we challenged people collectively to take a next move. And one of the challenges five years ago that we threw out as a result of this series was we challenged you to take the next move, some of you to take the next move, so that we could plant a campus three miles away in Barberton. And 150 people in the Norton campus said, we're in, we're in. A whole bunch of people who are still at the Norton campus said, we're in, we're financially going to invest in that. 
we're in, we'll take the next move. If that's where God's calling, we'll be a part of that. Five years ago, we had all kinds of people says, sign me up, we'll take the next move. And it has been unbelievable what God has done. I don't know if you thought about it or not. Sometimes we can lose sight of it, but it's been unbelievable what God has done as a result. Five years ago, think about this, there was nothing when it comes to Grace Church here in Barberton. Nothing, nada, wasn't here. And here we are five years later, and I don't know if you know this or not, but just last year, on average, there was almost 300 people that hung out here on, on a weekend service, which is 7.5% higher than the year before, which is 40% growth from the time this campus launched. It's unbelievable, right? Not only that, yeah, we can get an amen, and we can get, yeah, that's all right, or something like that, right? Because last year, 30 people said yes to Jesus for the first time. Isn't that exciting? 30 people, yeah, we clap for that even, right? 30 people publicly testified they belonged to Christ, baptized. From the time this campus started, 55 people have said yes to Jesus for the first time. 60 people publicly identifying with Christ. From the very beginning of this campus, five years ago, nothing. And all of a sudden, God's done incredible things. Not only that, this time, five years later, this campus is self-supporting. 140 different families saying we're in and we're invested. We're gonna be a part of this. It's a self, that is unheard of when it comes to church plants unbelievable right not only that but you guys were part of a survey called reveal survey and here's what it said it said that the barberton campus is in the top 20 percent of churches in terms of disciple making effectiveness which is absolutely remarkable for a campus of this size and this age why do i tell you all that so that you can remember statistics no i tell you that to remind you that you've been a part of something phenomenal god is doing and many of you have invested blood, sweat, tears, prayer, right? And, and God is doing something incredible and has been doing something incredible for the last five years, which leads us to December 2018. And I remember sitting in my office when my friend and, and your next move leader came to me and he said, Dan, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt God is calling me a different direction. And as Pastor Jeff sat in my office and told me that, I said, are you sure? He said, I'm convinced. It's clear. I, I, I looked at him and said, are you sure you didn't just have a bad pizza last night or something? Like, can we pray about this? And, but we talked and we prayed and we struggled and we cried and we, he said, I'm convinced. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my goodness. My first thought was that was not my next move plan. That was nowhere in my next move plan. And I began thinking to myself, man, Jeff, if you're sure, and I, I didn't see this coming, and I'm not sure, and where are we going to go, and what's going to happen, and what's the, I began asking all these questions, and here's what I think God led me to do. He said, I want you to go back, and I want you to dig out that sermon series that you preached five years ago, so that's what I did. And I sat in my home, and I dug out this sermon series called Next Move that I preached five years ago when this thing, whole thing started. And I began just digging through that and it was as though God said, Dan, there's something you missed the first time you preached this because there's a part of the story that you didn't see and that part of the story is absolutely essential right now for the Barberton campus. And that part of the story is found in your Bibles in Deuteronomy 34. And here's what it says. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, you can follow the screens up here. It says Moses, that's their next move leader, Let's just skip that. I think it's going to do that. We can roll that away. I'm going to use this screen over here. Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. 
It says, there the Lord showed him the whole land. What land? The land he was leading these people to. Stay with me on this. The Lord said to him, this is the land I promised. It's the land we were going to on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your descendants. Now check this out. I have let you, Moses, see it with your eyes. But you're not going to be the one to cross over into it. It's like, really? And then look what it says. It says, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. As the Lord has said, Moab's bur er, he buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Now look at this next part. Moses was 120 years old. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Moab as an obscure shepherd, 40 years leading these people through the wilderness, 40 years as their, their next move leader. But this next part intrigues me. He was 120 when he died and his eyes weren't weak nor his strength gone. It wasn't that he wasn't leading well. He was still robustly leading. It's interesting. And the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Everybody look here a second. Lean in a second. Just let the Bible be real for one second, if you would. Let these people be real. Let them wear skin. Let them have feelings. Can you imagine how they would have felt? We've been following this guy for the last 40 years. This is the guy we've been listening to for the last 40 years. And now God has come and said, hey, Moses, your next move is going to be your final move. It's your last move. And all of a sudden, all these people, a caravan of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people have been following him. And all of a sudden, God says, his next move is going to be his final move. What about us? What about us? Because at that moment, you are tempted to be paralyzed to move. And God says, listen, don't mistake. His next move is his final move, but I still got a next move for you. Because there's something important. When you let your eyes go one page over, just one page over in your Bibles to Joshua 1, look at what it says. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, son of Nun, he happened to be Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River. I got a next move for you. And I want you to go into the land I'm about to give you, to the Israelites. I'll give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Listen, he says, I might have told Moses, your next move is your final move, but I got a next move for you. That's what he's saying. He says, we're gonna keep moving. I have a next move for you. And I want you to continue to follow me, which leads to what he says to Joshua, the rest of Joshua 1. No one's going to be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And then look at this. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then he says, be strong and courageous. Why? Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And then he finishes by saying, be very strong, Joshua. Be very courageous, Joshua. Be careful to obey all the law my servant gave you. Don't turn from the right. Don't turn to the left. And you'll be successful wherever you go. If you do that, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged for the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. Listen, listen. Why in the world would he say that to Joshua? Why would he say, don't be discouraged, don't be afraid? Sometimes we make the Bible too hard. Do you know why I think he said that? Because they tended to be discouraged and afraid. 
they tended to be discouraged and afraid. Joshua would have been afraid and discouraged, right? Because all of a sudden, the guy that he's been working for, the guy that he's been following, he's gone. And yet God is saying, listen, I got a next move for you. And what he says to Joshua, I think is very important for us to know today because I think he has a next move for you. And in understanding our next move, I think Joshua shows us this, that our next move, your next move, the Barberton Campus' next move will involve following a new leader. Here's what he's saying to the children of Israel. He's saying, listen, Moses is gone, but I'm not done working. And here's Joshua. Here's another leader. Now stay with me. I want you to lean in. I want you to listen. He's saying this other leader is going to be a different leader. He's a different person. He's a different personality. He probably rolls different, does some things different. He's different. He's a different leader. Everybody listening. He's a different person. He's a different cat, but it's the same God. And that's the key. And he said, just like you followed Moses, I want you to follow this guy because he's following the same God. It's interesting, right? I can tell you this. Eventually, there's going to be another leader here. Like we already are praying and working and exploring and talking about it. Uh, Rick and I are part of what is called the executive team of Grace Church and we already are beginning to plow through that. We don't want to do anything too hurriedly because we want to get the right guy. We want to get God's guy for this place. But eventually, your next move our next move as a campus will involve following another new leader. And that new leader will be somebody, as God brings him here, who will be following the same God. Now, here's what's interesting. When Joshua takes, takes up shop, he becomes the next leader. You know the first thing he does? First thing he does, if you look at Joshua 2, this is interesting, okay? The, the, let it come alive. The Bible is interesting. First thing new leader does, okay? He comes and God says, I don't want you to be discouraged. And the people respond to him. And this is what they say. Whatever you've commanded us, we'll do. Wherever you send us, we'll go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, we'll obey you. Only may the Lord, your God, be with you as he was with Moses. So they're like, we're in. And the first thing Joshua does is this. He says, okay, then we're going to Jericho. Okay, we're going to Jericho. And this is interesting, okay? And so the first thing he does is send spies into Jericho. Why would he send spies into Jericho? Because he wanted to scope out the land where God was sending them. That's smart leadership, right? Well, God's not sending us to Jericho, amen? But he sent us to Barberton. And when you look at Barberton, I sent out some spies. And there's something interesting I just want you to know because the job isn't done. When you look at Barberton, this is all interesting to me. And if you're in, into stats and numbers, you might want to write some of this down. But within a three-mile radius of this building, so if you go three miles any which direction of this building, there are 51,000 people who live in that three-mile radius. And about, listen close, lean in, 76%, just in case you didn't hear me, 76% of those 51,000 are unchurched. It didn't cross their mind this morning, I think I'll get up and go to church, let alone God, let alone who's Jesus. They're unchurched. About 38,000 people in a three-mile radius of this building, unchurched. Of those 51,000 people, 13,000 of those people, 18 years and younger. When we begin to do some of the numbers and looking at some of the numbers, there are of those 51,000 people, 21,000 households of which, listen to this, 30% of those 21,000 households are run by single mothers. You look at that, wow, what, there's opportunity, there's people who need help, people who need to know 13% of the adult population in Barberton is walking through the pain 
the excruciating pain of divorce, unemployment rate, 4.5%. And we looked at the statistics and the Barberton Hospital said that in 2018, almost 100 ER visits due simply to overdoses, twice as many overdoses in Barberton than there are in the rest of Summit County. You look at that, oh, that's awful. And I look at that and think, no, that's opportunity. Because there are people in pain. There are people who are wondering, does anybody care? There are people like, how does God play in? There are people wondering, how do I get out of this mess within a three-mile radius of this building? So when you look at Moses and Joshua, Joshua sends out spies. Why? He wants to know, what are we dealing with here? And then you get to chapter three. And it says something interesting. It says, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the Levitical priest carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and to follow it. The Ark of the Covenant would have represented the very presence of God, right? And he says, when you see God move, I want you to be ready to move. I want you to write that down somewhere. That your next move, our next move, is all about following God's move. We need to be ready to move when we see God move. When God moves, we're ready to move. Why do I say that? Here's the deal. When people go through a transition... When people go through a transition, I've been, doing, I've been a pastor for 25 years. And I can tell you that when people go through a transition, they can be tempted to go to one of two extremes. One extreme is they can just quit moving. Just quit moving, like, oh no, right? The other extreme is this. They can just start moving any which direction all over. The, we need to do this, 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 and start to oversteer and become busy. Busy is not the same as productive, Right? Busy is not the same as productive. And what God seems to be saying to Joshua is, listen, I want you to be ready when I move because what matters is that you're following me. What matters is that you're following me. I still got a next move for you. And when it comes to following God, there's three really interesting things in this story he says that he wants them to know as they follow this new leader, the same God, into the area where he's taking them. Look what he says. He says, then you'll know which way to go. Since, you see this part in yellow, you have never been this way before. Listen, listen, listen. What he's saying is this. If you're ready to move when I move, you're following this new leader, you might go a way you've never gone before, but that's the way you're to go. What he's saying, let me just take all the code words out of it. He's saying, listen, it might mean there's change and you all like change. Can I get an amen on that? I want you all together, say with me in the count of three. One, two, three, I love change. You ready? One, two, three, I love change. I know you love change. You just didn't know you love change, right? And I know you love change. I love change. You love change. You didn't know it. None of you rode a horse here, right? None of you cooked over an open fire. We love change. We just don't know we love change. And here's the deal. All he's saying is this, is what matters isn't that we keep things the way they've always been. It matters that we're following God where he's going. That's what he's saying. Right? And sometimes that means, hey, you won't know where to go, but you're going to follow me and you've never been this way before and I'm going to lead you. And so, so we got to be open to change. And when a new leader leads, it might be, hey, there's some things different. Right? The dying words of a dying church are this. We've never done it that way before. And that church is about ready to die. We've never done it that way before. Because the truth is, we're going to go where God's calling us to go. Not only that, but there's something else interesting. When God wants to move, it says this, keep a distance. 
between you and the ark. Don't go near it. And then he says this. It sounds like a church word. Consecrate yourselves. Cons- it sounds like a big church word. Like, what does that mean? For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. Like, I want you to consecrate. What does that mean? Here's all it means. Set yourself apart. Be ready. Because if you're not ready, you're going to miss what God's going to do something amazing. And that word amazing is a word that would have pointed them back to he's going to do some things like he did in Egypt through Moses. It says, but, but, but you're going to miss it if you're not prepared. I coached football for 14 years. 14 years I coached football. And I remember one year I had this guy's name was Andy. And Andy would always come and say, coach, I wish I played more. You know, and, and I get that. When you go for football, you want to play more. But, but Andy had a problem every time as a coach. The game's going on every time. I'm up there, I'm calling the plays, and I needed Andy to be in the game. Every time I turned, I was like, Andy, it's time to get in the game. Andy was screwing around, and he could never, ever find his helmet. You know what I'm saying? He was never ready to get into the game. That's what he's talking about. Consecrate yourself. He says, whatever you're doing, if you're screwing around, quit screwing around and pay attention and have your helmet on. Be ready because when I call your number, I want you to be ready to go in. Because if you're not ready, like Andy didn't make his way into the game and he missed the opportunity to see some amazing things he could have saw in there. That's all he's saying. He's saying, I want you to be ready. I want you to prepare yourself. I want you to be dialed in. I want you to be paying attention because God wants to do some amazing things. Then he says one more thing. It's interesting. He says, tell the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today, I'm going to begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you just like I was Moses. Now look at this. Tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Listen, listen, this is interesting to me. Because if I'm going to follow God and move when he moves, here's what it means. It means that sometimes I'm going to have to take next moves and those next moves may seem risky. They may seem risky. You're like, how do you get that, Dan? Because the Jordan River at flood stage, you wouldn't want it to go near that. And what God seems to be saying is, trust me, take the next steps. I want those priests to step in. And when they step in, I'm going to do something. Well, can you do something and then we step in? He's like, no, I want you to step in and I'm going to do something. You see, faith is me going where I shouldn't go on my own. But because God's calling me to go there, I'm going to go. That's what faith is. You see, here's what I know. I talk to a lot of people. I've been doing this for 25 years. I talk to a lot of people who say they're followers of Christ and their prayers have gotten boring. Reading the Bible has become laborious. Going to church has become mechanical. And I honestly believe that the whole thing has become boring and laborious and mechanical because they've stopped taking steps of faith that require God to do something they couldn't do on their own, that require God to show up, and all of a sudden, instead of being a pioneer of next moves, they become settlers who sit and soak. And they're like, this is just mechanical. You see, God is calling them to a next move. He's calling us to a next move. And that might mean we're going away we didn't go before. That might mean that I got to be prepared for when he calls my number. And that might mean that I got to take steps where I'm like, not sure how God's going to do this, but I'm going to take a step of faith. Now, why, why is that important? Well, there's something interesting in Joshua 4. I want you to see this. Something, how many of your parents in the room? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Okay, lean in right now because you need to see what he says in Joshua 4. What in the world is going on here? Joshua called 12 men, one from each tribe. And he says, go over before the ark. 
into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites. Then he says, these are to serve as a sign among you in the future. Look at this. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Here's what he's saying. He's saying this. I want you to tell your kids about your next move. I want you to tell your kids about your next move. They're going to see this big pile of rocks. And they're going to say, what's this big pile of rocks about? And I want you to tell them that you saw God do something that is amazing. That you, because you decided to trust God, had the chance to watch God do something that you could not imagine on your own happening. Because your kids are going to be watching can I tell you something about your campus, about the Barberton campus? You need to know this. You, did, you maybe didn't know this, that we have eight campuses across Grace Church, and this campus has the highest percentage of children per weekend attendance. 30% of your weekend attendance is down the hall. 30% of your weekend, that's, a, that's like incredible, right? And all he's saying is they're watching they're watching to see, do you believe God is still working? Do you believe God is still able? Do you believe God is still powerful? That's what he's saying to Joshua. I want you to tell them about this God who is able to do things that would blow your mind. Some of you know what I'm getting ready to say. Some of you maybe didn't. But there's this phenomenon in our country where 18-year-old and, and maybe 18 to 26, 27-year-olds who grew up in church for whatever reason, seem to leave the church. Some of you are shaking your head, you know what I'm talking about. And you begin to read this, like why is that happening? So I do a lot of reading on this. And there's a lot of different people who say different things. But I was reading a book this last week and here's what it said. It said that one of the, maybe not the top, one of the biggest reasons 18-year-olds who grew up in the church leave the church is because when they look at their parents' faith, they see their parents' faith as simply a sit and soak faith. And those 18-year-olds are looking for an adventure of faith. They're not simply looking for a sit and soak, settle in faith. But they're looking for something that's going to take them into an adventure that's bigger than themselves. Into something that they couldn't accomplish on their own. That's what God calls us into. That's what God calls us into. And all he's saying to Joshua is, I want you to remind kids. I want you to tell kids when, you, when, when they look at this pile of rocks that God showed up in amazing ways. Now here's the deal, and then, and then we're done. Here's the deal. So they cross the Jordan, and they get over to Jericho. And when they get to Jericho, chapter 6, there's something interesting. Here's what it says. The gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one came in. Everybody look here a second. Let's not run past that. All that tells me is this ain't going to be easy. All that tells me is this ain't going to be easy. Joshua's standing, there's Jericho, and it's securely barred. And it's like, how are we going to break through that? It's not going to be easy. And then it says this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered into your hands Jericho, along with its kings and its fighting men. And then look at this. This part we can just run by, but there's something very important here. I want you to march around the city once with all the armed men, and then I want you to do this for six days. Everybody look here a second. Like, like, it's easy to read right past that and like, what? What's the big deal? Think about it. 
You want me to do what? March around the city with your armed men. Okay, day one, they marched around the city and guess what happened? Nothing. Do it again. Day two, they marched around the city. Guess what happened? Nothing. Day three, they marched around the city. Josh was like, come on. Why? God said, march around the city. And guess what happened? Nothing. Day four, nothing. Day five, nothing. And that tells me something. We live in a society, in a culture, and it happens in churches where we get addicted to results. And instead of being addicted to results, I think the key is to be addicted to obedience. I think it was God saying, hey, will you take a next move? Will you continue to obey, to follow, even if right now nothing's happening? Because eventually day seven came. And when day seven came, he said, have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. And when you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets. And at that point, have the whole army, not part of it, the whole army, give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city is going to collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. It's interesting to me, right? Because the whole army shouted and it happened in a way that they could have never dreamed. They were fighting men and they're walking around blowing trumpets and shouting. It's like we're used to fighting. And God's going to do this in an extraordinary way. And he brought them together in an extraordinary way to do something that was way beyond what they could do on their own. It tells me something about your next move and that's this. I want you to write this down. Your next move will be a display of unusual unity. That's what's going on here. God throughout his story is an extraordinary God. He is the only one who deserves the attention to say, who's the extraordinary one in the story? God. Who's the big deal in the story? God. But he uses ordinary people, like Joshua and his group, like you. Like you. Like you. Like you. Like you. Ordinary people, like you and me to do extraordinary things and while doing extraordinary things to display this unusual unity that says we're going to follow him. You see, here's what I know. God has been doing incredible things here at Barberton and he wants to continue to do that. It's going to be a new leader. We're going to move when God moves. He's going to take us ways we haven't been before. I want to be prepared when he calls my number to be in the game, right? It might be a step of faith that seems risky and I'm not sure how it's going to play out. But as he does that, I know that there's 30% of our congregation down the hall and they're watching and saying, hey, do you guys really believe God can and is and will and does? And, and when that happens, this community is going to see a group of people, ordinary people that are drawn together in an unusual way following an extraordinary God so that somehow the lights are shining bright on him. Why? Because 38,000 of them woke up this morning and going to church didn't really cross their mind. And 13,000 of them are 18 years and younger. And they're trying to figure out where's the purpose for my life and where's the reason for me. God continues to have a purpose for us and his call is for us to take a next move. Now as I have the band come up and take their spots, I just want to talk to you. Like, what does that mean? What, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? What does it mean for us sitting right here? Because we could read this story and we could look at this Joshua and Moses thing and say, well, that's kind of a cool story, but we've got to say, so what, now what? And maybe I could give you two things to think about. What do we do in light of this? And maybe the very first thing that we do in light of this is we simply prepare. 
We ask ourselves, am I prepared? Am I prepared? If God calls my number, am I ready to go in the game? You're like, what does that mean, Dan? Well, well, maybe this moment in the church's history is a chance for all of us to say, if God called my number, am I back here messing around? Is there things I'm messing around with? Is there things I'm carrying around that I'm not ready to go into the game? Maybe I'm carrying around bitterness, resentment. Maybe there's some things in, in my life I need to unpack. Or, or maybe I don't have my equipment on. Maybe I'm not ready. Maybe I'm not paying attention. Or, or maybe being prepared is me listening to God for real, like for real for the first time. Like, like, like I'm really gonna, like this whole thing they're talking about, like read through the Bible in a year, sounds like a good goal, good plan. But maybe that's my plan to begin to listen to God, say, God, I won't pay attention because I think I'm missing some amazing things you wanna do. Maybe for some of you, the, the, the way to prepare is to say, you know, I'm gonna get in a group, I'm gonna start reading the Bible with somebody else, I'm gonna come to the women's Bible study, I'm gonna start listening to God, I'm gonna start talking to God, and I'm gonna start asking God to do things in us and through us that we couldn't do on our own. I want to be prepared. Next Saturday night, 7 o'clock, the steering team's going to have a prayer meeting right here in this room. And may, maybe your first step is say, I want to be prepared. I want to be a part of that. And you might be sitting here this morning like, I don't like praying out loud. That's fine. Come. You don't have to. Come. Be a part of that. Join hands and, and say, we want to pray. Say, God, we want you to do some amazing things. We want to be prepared. We want to consecrate, set ourselves apart so that when you call our number, bam, because we don't want to miss it. Which leads to the second thing. If I'm going to prepare, then, then I want to make sure that I'm ready to participate. <laughs> okay, God. And for some of you, maybe that means taking that next move step that you've been putting off. I don't know. Maybe it's jumping into a group. Maybe it's beginning to serve. And maybe some of you have been wrestling, like, I don't know, and I know that God wants me to, and maybe this is the moment you take that next move step. Next, next weekend, after each of the services, there's going to be ministry tours that, that Beth, our volunteer coordinator, is going to be leading. And it's a chance for you to just see different ways you can serve and be a part to display this unusual unity as we follow God. Uh, next week, after the 1045 service, uh, Tyler is going to be leading a Power Kids orientation. He's like, hey, I want to be a part of leading kids. I don't know. I don't know what the part is. But I know this. I know this, is this life of following God is about a life of next moves until he says, hey, this is your final move. Like he's the one that gets to decide that, right? And that final move for Moses was death. Like, like that's the last move. But until he tells me it's my last move, he's got a next move. So I don't know what his call on you individually is. You know, maybe the call on you is to prepare. Maybe it's to take that step to participate. But I know this that there's 38,000 people who woke up this morning and did not cross their mind, hey, I think I'll go to church, let alone what does Jesus have to do with this? And there's 30% of your congregation that are peering down that hallway and they're wondering, I just wonder, did those people think that God is still alive and powerful and able to do more than we could ask or imagine? And so God...